This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. This is New Books in Science Fiction. I'm Rob Wolf. And I'm Brendan Wesser. And this is the Not a Simple Update edition. I love that, by the way. There you go. And just like everyone will love the book. Today, we're going to explore the minds of a human and robot, both of which come to occupy the single body of pharmacy tech Joel Lodowick, a single parent just trying to raise his five-year-old daughter in peace. Joel is the main character, main human character in My Heart is Human, the fourth novel by New Mexico author Reese Hogan. Reese is a trans mask science fiction author whose short fiction has been published in The Decameron Project, A Coup of Owls, and on the Tales to Terrify podcast, as well as in two anthologies. Reese is with us from his home in New Mexico. Hi, Reese. So glad you could come and chat with us today. Hi, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. And we're excited to have you. Really looking forward to talking about your fourth novel. Uh, My Heart is Human is about the relationship between Joel Lodowick and a bionic, which is essentially a, a robot or an AI. And it wouldn't be the first time writers have spun great stories about humans interacting with AIs who are on the brink of or perhaps already past self-consciousness or sentience. But what makes your story unique is the context, I think, which is the fact that the world has dialed back the clock on technology about 10 years earlier. They banned all advanced technology, computers and screens, due to something called the cyber blood virus. So maybe we could start there. You could talk about what is the cyber blood virus and how did humans react to it and how did it shape the world that Joel lives in? I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that um, the cyber blood virus was kind of, because it does say on the back, you know, that this uh, it's about the government kind of covering up the truth about AI sentience. So um, the cyber blood virus was kind of an excuse to, to shut it down. I do um, reference in the book that there were, Hackers were running rampant and uh, technology was doing things that it wasn't supposed to. All the like implants that people had in their bodies over the years were starting to malfunction and explode and do things like this. But basically what the book is, one of the central concepts is humanity having overreached and gone past the point of no return, but not realized it yet. So the, the government realizing that this was about to happen or 
that we were right on the brink of it and decided to try to stop before it was too late and thought they had. As a follow-up to that, I think one of the really interesting things for me in reading about this is that it is the that turning point where we're starting to, you know, see what that might look like. And we've seen it in other science fiction novels, you know, how a species, whether humans or not, can interact with new sentient beings and what the reactions are, um, you know, thinking of, you know, Anne Leckie's uh, trilogy and just that concept of like, wait, hold on, we're dealing with a new new sentient species now, or you know, what do we do? And I really love how you explore that from different angles, you know, in the government conspiracy being one of them, right? Like we created you technology, you know, what's going to happen when you become more than? So I love that. And I love how you have these other characters like Joel, who have a little more kind of everyday perspective of it. What was it like to kind of imagine yourself in the moment or imagine your characters in that moment and, and how we would react you know, as a human species at that turning point? Uh, that's a tough question because I do kind of feel things out as I go. I think what was really fun about writing Joel in particular is that he is quite opposite from Acubans. Like he's not the kind of person, like when you might picture writing this book, you might picture a scientist working with the technology and having it happen to them and really understanding maybe kind of what was going on. But Joel understands nothing. Like not only... Did he not work with this stuff at all? But he's he like has much different ideas on his mind about how to live his life. And I think like the artistic angle that I bring into this book was for me really fun because Acumen's the bionic understands nothing about art and kind of just sees it as superfluous or not necessary. And um into Joel, it's his life. So it really creates this this weird dichotomy between them where they're really on different pages with just about everything. So just as with any character, when you're kind of developing how they're going to react to stuff, you, you look at what's most important to them. So what the things they're going to look at first. So that's kind of how I felt my way through it with with these two characters. What's important to Acumens? What's important to Joel? And how do these things start clashing more and more? I, I, that, I'm not sure if that completely answers your question, <laughs> which was a little bit complex. No, I think that's great because I think it brings it to the... It's different when you're one-on-one with someone. So I think you're right, mm-hmm. you know, being able to say, like, what's important to Acubans and what's important to Joel, you can see how... Joel might think of the singularity as something different than somebody who's not interacting with with somebody like Acuban. So I thought it was really interesting. I mean, the world you set up sort of inverts the way the world is now, which is that kind of the older generation is always feels like they're catching up with technology. They weren't raised with so many screens. I'm speaking of myself, at least as at 58, you know, didn't have so many screens had wrote my son didn't know that you could be on a phone at home and two people could be on the same line because he was like how do, how do you do that and it's like well those are landlines that's how they work you know so sort of the sense that the young people know everything in your world because mm-hmm. 10 years ago all that technology stopped it's the older generation that misses having all that technology i mean you've said it i don't know about 50 years in the future or something i think something like that and they're the ones who are comparing everything that's happening now, like Joel's grumpy ass pharmacist boss, who's like, 
compare, you know, going your output, you have to work harder. And, and Joel's yeah. thinking, you're comparing me to the robots you used to have that used to do all this work. You know, I'm a human being. And so Joel's in this analog world, which is then he then he as the story unfolds and it happens very early in the book. So I don't think that's a spoiler. But and as you've referenced, Acubens is this bionic who happened to have been in storage, basically, in the pharmacy where he works because all the robots have been shut down, but the government still, after 10 years, hasn't been able to collect them all. So he's just sit standing there, or it, he, it is standing there. And due to the circumstances at the beginning of the book, Joel finds a necessity of, of trying to turn him on as a desperate measure and really doesn't know what to expect and doesn't know everything and is thinking about the cyber blood virus constantly, like, oh my God, is he going to go mm -hmm. berserk and kill me? Right. And I remember wanting to, because one of my editor's questions is, why is um, Grotzheimer such an asshole? And like, what's what's the deal with that? So I thought about it and I was like, I think it's an ageism problem. Um, and I and I was like, well, how would that work? Kind of in because in our world, they would be like, you're so lazy because you expect technology to do everything. But, you know, they're saying they're making the same arguments. You're so lazy because um, you, you're not willing to live up to the technology that you used to that we used to have, you know. So it's like the same argument, but with a different reasoning. And I think it makes perfect sense. You're always going to think the next generation below you is lazier than the one before it. You're always going to think our, our way was the better way, you know, the way, right. the way we did it was better. Those damn kids nowadays. <laughs> well, maybe you could tell us just a little bit more about Joel, because Joel, like all main characters, but in particular, uh, you know, Joel is is finding his ways, raising, is raising a daughter on his own um, mm -hmm. since the death of his partner. And he's finding his way as a trans man. There's a bit of a parallel process here, I think, where Acubens is finding his way in the world and gaining consciousness, and Joel is finding his way in a very different sense, but there's still yeah. changes. And and it kind of the title of our episode, you know, not a simple update. Acubens describes gender transition, a simple quote unquote simple update. <laughs> so maybe you could talk about that and talk about Joel. All right. Well, I'll just kind of like share a little bit about the characters themselves to start with. So yes, Joel is a, a transgender man. He's only 22. He became a father at 17. Um, and his his um, former partner died of a drug overdose and was kind of like one of those downward spirals that people tend to get into when they aren't happy with their lives. So that was, that was Joel being a, a transgender person who isn't out yet, looking for answers in all the wrong places, ended up with a daughter way too young, and then the the um, the ex died. So he's come out about two years prior to the book, um, but his parents are still not getting it. They're, they, he told them, they said, okay, and then they didn't really change the pronouns or names or anything. And like for, for those of you who maybe don't have it known. This was kind of based on my own experiences back in 2020 when I came out, when when COVID hit. So there was a lot going on in the world and in my life. And so, yeah, everything was brushed aside. And for me, it just like was really, really hard. And I would escape into my room to write, to write this book. And it was kind of a place to pour all these thoughts. Um, so on top of that, Joel's also a musician. Um, he plays bass guitar and he had to kind of give up that dream when he became a single parent 
So that's something he also struggles with. So he, he just like has, his life's really tough. <laughs> so that's why somebody like Acumen's coming along and offering some answers uh, was very, very appealing. Not that it was a necessarily a choice when it happened, but it was something that was like, maybe I can use this if I, if I have to. Acubens, as you said, is also kind of exploring identity, but in a different way. Um, and that that way is... Like it knows it's not human, but it's, it's, it's studying humanity in such a way that it's, that it is finding parallels kind of not really by looking for them just because it observes everything and, and notes things. And um, so they're, they're, they're kind of taking these journeys together, but it's more, it's more about Joel trying to explain humanity. Like he has to make acumens understand why relationships and why humans and why people are so important why you can't just erase a brain and because it's going to erase a life it's not like just data right because um joel needs to keep his daughter safe the the daughter becomes endangered through the course of the book in different ways and um basically if joel can't find a way to make occupants understand why her life matters and why his life matters he'll lose everything I think an interesting thing about Joel, and I'm going to say it, I yelled at Joel out loud multiple times during this book. I was very, very angry. I'm like, come on, Joel. Look at me. Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, come on, Joel. Don't do that. Haven't we learned? Didn't we learn last time? I think that the choices that that you've had Joel make are are very true to the character. But the way you write them, you'd have a, a really good way of, you know, it's kind of like the problem with like, don't go into the cellar in the horror movies. Like, don't do it. You know, don't go into the cellar. Just don't do it. And there, I feel like are multiple times in this book where we have that those moments with Joel, like, Joel, no, no, please don't do that. Um, but they are very true to how Joel would react and very human in a lot of ways. And I was curious, did you do that on purpose to have those reactions from us as opposed to, you know, the protagonist who's like, I'm doing the right thing. And I'm I don't know what you're referencing, to be honest, because actually you're the first person I've heard <gasps> this from. Really? Oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Oh. So can you tell me like one or two of those times? And oh, I can, I, I can indeed. I can. <laughs> so... So Joel uh, discovers he has a romantic interest Ah, for somebody who he shouldn't really. I mean, in his situation, I don't want to give away too many spoilers because I do really love so much of of how it plays out. But he has a a romantic interest for somebody who you might construe as the enemy, right? Or somebody untrusted, somebody not quite to be trusted and for very good reasons. But he just can't help himself. He just can't help himself. He continually finds ways to meet up with this person. And that's just one of one of them. But I think, I mean, mm-hmm. the continued ways of trying to meet up with this person are, are ways that I just like, don't do it. Don't do it. That one actually did come up once where somebody was like, oh, th- that's what you're choosing to take agency on or something like that. But, <laughs> but I think that... Um, I, I guess I would say, no, I didn't like do it purposely to elicit reactions as you're um, saying, but I did make that on purpose because um, 
because the heart does what the heart wants to do, but it's also has to do with like Joel being new in his identity. And there's a lot of times I think we need validation from outside as, as people, as writers, as transgender people, however you want to put in our sexuality and, and, and Joel hasn't dated really much since he transitioned. So I think a big part of this is, is about, um, it's about validation, but it's also about, um, just being lonely and being a single parent and wanting something outside of himself. Like Occupants is inside of himself now and he has to deal with that. Um, and he, he just kind of also needs to get his, his mind off of that. And yes, maybe he chooses to do that in ways that might not be healthy in the long term. but isn't that a pattern for us all? <laughs> for listeners, I mean, you mentioned that Occupants is inside Joel. I mean, Occupants has entered his consciousness and isn't going to mm. leave. <laughs> but I, I would interpret it. It's interesting, Brenda, you know, the point you made, it made me think of how the book is so much about and in life, too. And maybe particularly for someone who is in the LGBTQ world, there's this issue of trust when you meet someone. Can I trust you? Will you accept me as I am? You know, and there's this process of coming out. And when Joel meets this person, well, meets Yori, I think we can say the person's mm-hmm. name. They, they, you know, at some point, Yori comes out on a certain level, says I'm bisexual, and Joel is like, well, I'm a trans man, you know, and they're both like, cool, cool, no problem, no problem. But it's like, you need, you know, can I trust you? And that's one level of trust. And of course, there's that deeper level that you're referring to, like, are you the enemy? Or are you not the enemy? And do you understand who I really am? And then Joel's doing the same thing with Acubans. They're And they're doing it with each other. Acubans is doing it with Joel. They're constantly going, are we aligned? Are we not aligned? Am I going to have to try to get rid of you? Or are you going to try to have to get rid of me? I mean, it's it's interesting. And I want to interject too, as a transgender person dating, there's always this big question of when do I come out? Should I come out? And and Yori knows, like off the top, like the first time they meet, Yori has his paperwork. He's in his house. He knows, like he knows. So it's like one thing that's completely, Joel knows he doesn't have to like come out at all. Like, and that's a huge deal. It really is. It takes one whole thing out of the equation right off the bat. And I suppose if you were a bionic who seemed human at some point, maybe you'd come out too and say, well, actually I'm not human. I'm a bionic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a huge parallel there too. you want to talk a little bit about the process of writing the book? You know, as you said, you did it during COVID. Uh, is there something there? Was that, was that a help? Is that helpful? It forced you to write because <laughs> you were home? It was or? really helpful because um, it was during quarantine um, and I was, you know, all our, all our families were home then and including the house guests I had at the time, which was my dad and stepmom and and that, you know, no matter how big your house is, your house is going to get small. <laughs> Nothing was changing. The kids were home from school. Everyone was home with me. I was used to, I was a stay-at-home parent at the time. And I had the days to myself to write. And all of a sudden, everyone was home with me. So I, like, the only thing, I'd escape up to my room. The kids would go do their school on their computers. And, like, the only thing that would change every day would be my word count. <laughs> That's kind of how I um I saw it and, and and my plot twists and stuff like that. So that it was it was it was wonderful that I had this space to come and, and get out of my myself and get out of my house into that world for a while every day. Um and I did outline this one and it went pretty smoothly until 
maybe the two thirds mark. And then like, I went a different direction that I didn't like. I, I, um, I separated some characters that I wanted to stay allies till the end. So I ended up backtracking and rewriting from that point. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm like not wanting to give spoilers, <laughs> but one of the characters, I wasn't quite sure um, which direction I was going to go with her. So I um, was having to make decisions as I went. So I'd reach a point and I'd be like, okay, let's stop and think which, which of these two directions would be most interesting at this moment. And then I would kind of feel my way out from there. And as for the ending, this is one of my proudest endings I've ever written. I love the ending of this book. I think it all came together so nicely, but it was not, it did not um, come together that nicely to begin with. And it took like two um, big edits with my agent and then two big edits with my editor to make it what it became, but I I love it so much. I think it's so powerful how it all plays out at the end. I hope all those of you who read it feel the same, but most people have told me that they love the ending. So I just wanted to know it takes a village to make an ending like that. <laughs> yeah, and even, and not just the ending, I'd say the book, the book feels to me like something that should have been published by one of the big five. And I'm curious if it was a conscious decision to bring it to an independent publisher who specializes in queer fiction. You know, I know Joel's story, Joel's story throughout is so powerful and it feels so real, but it's not just the story of his own identity. It's it's inside this other story, but the whole book just feels like it should be something that everyone should be, be reading from one of the big publishers. So I'm curious if if that was a decision or if that's just the way it played out. It's just the way it played out. Unfortunately, we did have it on on submission for um, a year and a half, and it got very close twice. But one time they couldn't. Uh, they said they weren't doing much sci-fi anymore. And then the second time, like two editors fell in love with it. They brought it to acquisitions and they fought for it. Um, but ultimately, they said they had just bought something similar, so they ended up passing. Um, and I feel like there was a third one too who is interested at some point because I I um I did find this queer publisher around that same time and then there was sort of not really quite an auction but there was you know they were kind of interested but then it ended up just like not working out with the other one too you know and I would have loved to have it at a bigger publisher but at the same time I feel like my experience with the smaller one has been almost better in a way because I, I had so much more input on my cover and I love my cover. It's my favorite cover I've had yet. And the editor is absolutely wonderful and so attentive. And I, I just felt like I was more valued there um, in a way. So I don't regret how it came out at all. But uh, yeah, it would have been really nice to also have it maybe reach a, a larger audience. But I have um, I have strong hopes that it will kind of continue to to get to get the word out out there. Through, um, through word of mouth and through conventions and through things like this, because it's been getting pretty positive reception from uh, from what I can tell. And it's reached outside my own circles and all of that. So, you know, what more can we ask for? It's on my list to, to nominate <laughs> for whatever I can find to nominate it for, because I, I think you've done something really special with this book. Thank you so much. I agree. I agree. I think it's an amazing book. And really gripping both as a story and as an idea. You know, I'm always looking, I always enjoy science fiction that's, or any book that also makes me think hard and isn't, doesn't, isn't just a page turner, but when it's both, you know, I mean, well, that's the best. And this definitely is that. 
And I think that's part of the reason it has been kind of doing better than my other ones is it's more accessible because it's about our own world. It's just like you said, 70 years in the future. It's it's about an, a topic that's on everyone's minds nowadays, which wasn't even intentional. I just kind of came up with that a, a couple of years ago before it was being talked about all that much. Um, so that, that has helped it a lot, I think, because even people who don't read sci-fi have picked it up and loved it. Even people who don't read that much at all have picked it up and loved it. And that's pretty cool. That's amazing. That's great. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Again, going back to the title of the episode, why is Acubens wrong that a gender transition isn't just a simple update? I mean, Acubens at first is very initially like, oh, that sounds like a simple update. Why don't your parents use the proper pronouns? And, you know, and I, I, I and I, at first when I read that, I thought, oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. It's nice that Acubens has that clarity, like simple update. But then you realize it's way more complex than that, because to Acubens, update means, well, just erase everything that came before, and now you're this. And Joel later is explaining to Acubens and needs to explain, wait, 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 wait. I am all the things I have been in the past and now. It's an integration. It's an evolution, but it doesn't erase what came before. It's it's a revealing of something that's always been there. You know, I, I'm sort yeah. of half answering the question, but I think obviously you <laughs> you grapple, you have grappled with this in your life and in the writing. So I wonder. Yeah. Well, and and your initial reaction to to um, Acuban saying that isn't wrong either. Like, um, I, I, when you read that line, when I read that line, when my editor reads it, where it's just a a simple update. Um, you know, we're all like. We're all like, yeah, I love I love Acumen's way of looking at it. It really should be just that easy. Um, but I think the uh the thing that that Joel needs Acumen's to understand and maybe all of us is that, you know, we, yeah, we're not just we're not just a moment. We are our whole lives. Um so my agent also really thought that was a powerful scene when Joel unpacks that for Acumen's. Um and she said like another way of looking at it is like maybe if you have like a big accident in the past you know you're you're going to carry that with you whatever happens to you any any trauma any joys man i was even reading something last night this actually relates to it i was reading some posts on facebook about grief or maybe it was like a video or something about grief or where where people expect that you go through this moment and then and then you move on from it but that's not how it works like we don't like when a when a baby is born you don't like celebrate the birth and then 5 years later at the birthday party say why aren't you over it already because it's it's something that stays with you and it becomes part of you and and that's and that's beautiful like you want to to keep all those things with you because you would not be the person you are today without that whole entire history behind you so when Acubens sees an update is just like erasing the old data and replacing it with the new data, that's just not it. <laughs> that's not it. And we wouldn't be humans if it was that easy. We would be robots. So should we be afraid of the singularity now that you've done all this research and imagining <laughs> like, is this something to be afraid of? Or is it, it is the question of the book in a way. I mean, one of them, the trust issue. Can uh, we trust what we're doing or, or should we, I mean, that's what everyone seems to be when there are these committees or people, mm -hmm. tech leaders writing these letters saying, let's slow down on AI. No one's slowing down, but they're saying we're supposed to slow down. Yeah. I mean, I've been on some panels about this and there's differing opinions. Um, I think I think the biggest worry is not that robots will 
will necessarily gain opinions or consciousness, but that they will be able to fake it because they'll have that. And, and the most, the biggest danger, the biggest danger is not the robots themselves, but humans reactions to them and how they use that against other people. And that is, I think, going to be our biggest danger that the humans we're already seeing humans online and the lies that are spun and, and how this stuff, and then, and the AIs that lie, they just lie, they lie blandly all the time um, because, you know, it's part of their programming or whatever, or just because they're not programmed well, who knows, who knows, but they lie. And then those words get in other people's mouths and they're used against others. And, and it becomes this huge mess. Um, but who knows if the singularity could happen? I think, I think it could, um, but I think it's probably maybe farther away than we think. Like even in Star Trek, it was like, what, 2300 or something crazy when they were starting to talk about this. If you set Picard, they kind of have a world that's kind of like post Android, right? It's kind of similar, except they kept all the other technology, but it did remind me of my world. But yeah, I think there there are moments where I'm like, wow, that, that robot told that tech that that it loved him. And that's when you start thinking about it, it, it does start getting to you a little bit. Cause you're like, we could be on the brink of something, but then you like disregard it again. And I think that, that, that world is kind of the world I tried to paint in this where we were thinking all these things and then we're like, okay, but we're not worried about it anymore, but it was too late by then. It might be now, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I'm a sci-fi writer. I have fun with it, <laughs> but it is kind of scary if you think about it. But I love what you just said, though, about not so much that they become sentient, but it's that we think or that it's coming across as sentience um, when it may just be, you know, high functioning algorithms. And I think you cover that in the book really well. And back to those issues of trust of like, can we trust each other? Can Joel trust what Acumens is saying or thinking or, or communicating? Um, you know, can can I trust this? Can I trust this? And in in some ways too, you know, you don't necessarily answer whether you know Acumens is you know starts off as sentience or not. They Acumens could just be high functioning and is going through this evolutionary process. So I like that your take on it because I think it fits really well into the book as as well. Mm that questioning that we're all having is a questioning that Joel's going through in his own, in his own mind. Yeah. Where at one point, like where at one point he realizes, wow, it's already been having opinions. When did that start? Cause it wasn't when it was in the pharmacy saying, I, um, you know, I can't compute that or I forget the words it uses now, but, <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't then that it started, but it's, it's, it happened sometime, but it's like such a gradual process. Or such a subtle process, I should say, that you're not even sure when these things happen. And that's, I think, what's scary about it, that you don't always know the moments things happen. You don't realize till it's way later. I think humans would not be very good at figuring out when something turns sentient because, you know, stuffed animals, when you're a kid, you feel like our sent- you're just imbuing them with the personality and moods and, <laughs> oh, did you have a boo-boo? And it feels real. So we're very inclined all out. All, uh, AI or whatever it needs to do is just say something that sounds vaguely like a real answer and we'll be like, oh my God, it's sentient. It's yeah. understands me. That's so true. Anthropomorph- anthropomorphism, isn't that what they call that? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like all the people who think their cats love them and cats don't feel love. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. 
That is a burn for first thing in the morning, Brenda. <laughs> my cat loves me. I don't know about your cat and you, but my cat loves me. Listen, Brenda's cat loves the wind and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, okay, I do. I do have a burning question though, because I I don't remember if it is in the book, but I know that I noticed that uh, Rob has been referring to Acubins as he. And I wasn't really paying attention in the book, but I definitely put some cultural and maybe sexist views on my view of Acubins. So in my mind, Acubins was she. Uh Reese, can you enlighten us as to how you think of Acubins? Acubins is it. (laughs) Acubins uses it, its pronouns and does through the entire book. So that's really interesting. Oh my God. Yeah, but I, I haven't actually talk to anybody else who has been thinking she um most people accidentally slip and say he but it's it's always it (laughs) I think I think I thought of it just because of the nurturing aspect I felt like Acubens was very much a nurturer and probably in the back of my mind too that as a pharmacy assistant you know possibly like a nurse or an assistant role, um, probably in the far back of my mind, but I think it was more than nurturing. I felt like Acumens had a, a nurturing streak. I don't know, which is a very human way to think about it. Very stereotypical to think of it that way. <laughs> I didn't see any nurturing aspects in Acumens personally. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, he helped him with his injuries. But I guess it was also it was also uh, they were sharing a body, so I suppose it could be also self interested to say that's true. <laughs> I'm reading the third book in the Scythe trilogy right now um, by Neil Shesterman, and that that has an AI that uses its pronouns. Yeah. And actually, I feel like it's very similar in some ways, like gaining sentience and and wanting a body and stuff like that. So that's kind of interesting. It seems like an insult, but the occupants has its own pronoun so it knows right. what they are so and to be honest i've known people who prefer those pronouns too so i don't know i guess it just depends on on your own views of it and their own views of it i never like i never thought saw a problem with acumens using it pronouns and and i think it fits it very well personally yeah totally totally it's just <laughs> but it is really interesting to get people like how d- different people see it well there's so many options now i guess that you know you're just aware that there's a lot of choices yeah. well i'm also a person who apologizes for calling it calling google lady google lady so i'm just <laughs> i'm i feel like i'm hyper aware as to how i i i talk to my tech whether it's listening because it's algorithms listening or listening because it's going to gain sentience. (laughs) Well, what is the proper way to refer to Google lady, which I've never, I don't even know who Google lady is. (laughs) Well, so it's when you enable uh, maps on your phone, I have the the feminine voice that tells me my directions. And so I, I regularly apologize I'm like, hey, Google lady, welcome to the party. And I regularly apologize because I'm like, if you're listening and you care, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to use. <laughs> I've heard people say that about like the robots, like don't yell at the robot just in case, <laughs> in case it's storing all this and going to use it for later. Well, it's always good practice to be polite. <laughs> exactly. You never know when sentience is around the corner. Always be polite. 
Well, this has been really fun, Reese. This has been great. I'm so glad yeah, you could join us on the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> and really, just it's it's really fun to talk with folks like you who've read my book and who just like have a conversation with about it with me because that's so rare. And and thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. We've been talking to Reese Hogan, whose novel My Heart Is Human was released from Space Wizard Science Fantasy in July. I'm Brendan Weser. And I'm Rob Wolf. I'll be back next month with a new edition of New Books in Science Fiction. Marshall Poe is editor and founder of the New Books Network, and Leanne Wilson is co-editor. Our theme music is by Michael Aaron of QuiverNYC.com. Please subscribe to the show, leave a review, tell your friends, spread the love, and until next time. Bye. Bye.